And welcome to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory, along with Charlie Winfield. Well, College World Series edition. We've gotten to the point of the season. Bulldogs win a Super Regional this past weekend. Charlie and I talked extensively about the wins on the post-game rap shows. And, Charlie, I tell you what, I look back, man, it's been three days now. But Monday night, that was just still, I still think back, that was just awesome. It's one of the great all-time experiences that I've had at that ballpark, and we've had a lot of them. But it goes right there in the list. And I think one of the things you mentioned, the same for me, how cool now to be there with our sons and our yep. children to be able to be at that ballpark. It's just really cool. And, of course, we're brought to you by Farm Bureau. Farm Bureau, go with a home team. They have agents throughout the state of Mississippi in every community. So check them out at favorites.com. Their service is is outstanding. It's better than anybody else in the insurance sector. And so that's Farm Bureau. Get your insurance with the guys that we get our insurance with, and that's Henry Hamill and the gang at Farm Bureau. Okay, so, Charlie, we've got a long and crazy show for you today. We're going to talk to John Cohen, talk about the job of Chris Lamonis and what he did here in the 2021 season. I want to ask John about about the atmosphere. You and I talked about this. Of course, he's being a state guy, about the atmosphere we had this past weekend. But also later in the show, we're going to talk with a former Texas pitcher who pitched against Mississippi State in 1983, and that's Roger Clemens will join us. We're going to talk college baseball. We're going to talk about pitching. So it's going to be an action-packed hour for you here on Out of Left Field. Roger Clemens pitched the decisive game in the 83 regional, beat Mississippi State, pitched the decisive game in the World Series, beat Alabama, complete game in Rosenblatt. What's interesting, what I want to ask him about is about they played in 82. They went deep in the College World Series in 82. Finished third. And then they came back again and won it in 1983. Of course, State, we're going for our third consecutive trip. How does that play a part? Does the confidence that you get going before help you in the subsequent times you go to Omaha. We'll talk to him about that. So once again, we're brought to you by Farm Bureau. When we come back, we'll talk to the athletic director at Mississippi State. John Cohen will join us, and then we'll talk to the former pitcher of the big leagues, one of the all-time greats. Roger Clemens will join us right here. You're listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau, Bart Gregory, Charlie Winfield. We're going to talk to the athletic director at Mississippi State, John Cohen, in just a second. But I'd like to remind you, this conversation brought to you by our friends at Country Pleasing Sausage, made right here in the heart of the state of Mississippi on Highway 49 down in Florence. Country Meat Packers, they have a great storefront, anything you need for your tailgate. But, of course, they've got that great country pleasing sausages all over the state of Mississippi at all your local grocers. And so pick up a pack. If you're ready to grill some steaks this weekend, put a pack of country pleasing on the grill with it. It could be the original. It could be the jalapeno cheddar. It could be the black pepper cheddar, the three cheese, any of those. They're all outstanding. Henry Cooper and the gang at Country Pleasing, they do it right. The best sausage you can put on your grill for this time of year. And this conversation brought to you by Country Pleasing Sausage. And we welcome into the studio the athletic director at Mississippi State, former baseball coach John Cohen joins us. And Hey, busy time right now, busy week. Appreciate you spending a little bit of, of your day coming over here with us. 
Yeah, Bart, you know, just got done with Road Dogs. We covered eight different Mississippi State cities and just had a blast doing it. Coach Leach was spectacular, and along with Coach Howland and, and Nikki McRae. So, uh, yeah, we're keeping busy and, and uh, going to be heading off to Omaha here shortly. Charlie and I talked about this the other night after the ball game, and it's kind of crazy about, you know, my 10-year-old son is talking about Omaha in March. He thinks it's the Mississippi State right to go to Omaha. Charlie and I have been talking about this. This ain't easy. This is hard. And to go three straight times is really kind of crazy. I mean, you're a Mississippi State guy. Charlie's a Mississippi State guy. For so long, it was just its so hard to get to the College World Series. And I really don't think you can overstate what Chris and his staff have done this year. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I was listening to your podcast uh, earlier in the week. And, and by the way, you and Charlie do such a great job with this. It's so much fun to listen to. And the guests you have are just outstanding. Kind of jealous that I was, I'm this late in the game on being invited. But I get it. That's okay. Um, <laughs> I understand that, but, uh, yeah, I, it, we're, we're kind of in rarefied air right now and, um, it can't be ever taken for granted, you know, five straight, uh, super regionals. Um, nobody in the country can say that three straight trips to Omaha. Nobody in the country can say that. And, um, just, just really proud of the staff and you know what Chris and his staff have done when you, when you look at inheriting a program that's coming back from Omaha, there's a ton of pressure, uh, and you, you have all these personalities, and usually when you're inheriting a program, there's not a lot of success there. So he's having to manage success and some failure all at the same time, where normally when you take over a program, it's mostly failure that you're you're dealing with. But this, I can't say enough about Gotro and Fox and, and Chris. They, they have just done a remarkable cheese as well. They've just done a remarkable job. Martin, I've talked, it feels almost like if anything, because people expected so much out of this team that perhaps Chris Lamonis and his staff haven't been appreciated for the job that they've done, I've argued that this is one of the best coaching jobs that we've seen in Mississippi State baseball history. You talk about a guy who's had to push a lot of buttons. He's had to make a lot of moves. And at the end of the year, it all seems to be coming together. Yeah, it's, it's remarkable to me, Charlie. Like, um, so many folks – Put, put a lot into is, is the coach sitting or standing, you know, in the dugout, you know, they, they put so much stock into the, the, you know, the, the facial expressions of the coach. Like if they're not yelling and screaming like an idiot, like, you know, maybe John Cohen did that they're not into it. Let, let me just put all those. I've been in the dugout. Chris Lamonis and his staff are into it. And the words that come out of his mouth are very, very important. They're meaningful and he has the attention of our players. And there's some unpleasant conversations he has during games, after games, during practice. He just has a different way of going about it. Really reminds me of Ron Polk in, in, in some ways. Don't ever underestimate how intense Ron Polk can be, as well as the members of his staff. I, you know, I played for you know Brian Shoup was on that staff, and Pat McMahon was on the staff. Those guys were intense, even though people didn't might not have realized that. And, and Chris certainly shares that. His intensity is at a very high level. So now we get to the College World Series, and that ballpark is so different. It's going to be blowing in from right field at 20 miles an hour on Sunday when you play Texas. It's almost like the brand of baseball completely changes once you get there how spread out the tournament is. You play in every other day. What does that do to your bullpen? You've been, hey, we were there for two weeks in 2013. 
How does it change the way that you manage your team when you have the opportunity of playing five games over a 12-day period? Yeah, we were calling it the fortnight of Wimbledon when we were there. It's it's a long time. You know, our, our committee has shortened the distance a little bit uh, with taking away some off days, which I was in full agreement of. But, yeah, I, I agree. You, you, you really have to make Omaha your own, and you it's all about your team. You just you can't make it about Omaha. You can't make it about your the team you're playing against. Scouting reports are important, but you got to maintain your routine even when you go on the road. And, and uh, you know, I think Chris and the staff have, have really done a great job with that. I have argued that our pitching is better suited to pitch in Omaha perhaps than in our own park. We've got some guys that give up some fly balls. It's tough to get one out of that place. Am, am I on the right track? Yeah, I think I think you're exactly right. In fact, I was looking at some numbers prior to the game on Monday, and you guys are probably way ahead of me on this because you do a great job with numbers on the broadcast and on your podcast as well. But when I was looking at it, we had, I believe, 725 strikeouts as a pitching staff going into Monday. Our team offensively struck out 375 times. There's a 350 strikeout gap between those two numbers. It's crazy. And guys, I started looking, and and I just happened to have, um, you know, some folks around the office, and I we just started doing research. I called Kyle Peterson. I said, I, "There's no gap like that that we can find in the history of college baseball." Now, I'm not saying it didn't happen. And if you look at like an Arizona State team back in either '71 or '72, they had quite a gap, but their gap was 250. And they played limitless games because there's no restrictions on how many games could be played in that time. But when you're looking at a team with that type of gap, people ask me all the time, you know, you know, people say, well, we're not the best defensive team in the country. We're not the best offensive team in the country. We're not. That one statistic, that gap, we're putting it in play with two strikes. We're striking out people with two strikes. That's huge, especially in Omaha. To get back to your point, Charlie, when you consider if you've got a runner on third base in less than two, in Omaha, I mean, that's a huge, significant situation because you're only going to get so many opportunities to score a run in that ballpark. When you're playing at Duty Nova right now, you're right, it has become a much more offensive ballpark. If you don't get it done in that one moment, somebody might miss his, hit a ball that would fly to the ballpark. That ain't happening in Omaha. So, yeah, I think the strikeout situation on the pitching staff part and the lack of strikeouts that we have offensively, a huge portion of the credit there goes to, to Coach Gotro because we just have a really solid plan with two strikes. You know, I look at Notre Dame last week, and you know, they hit, what, 65 home runs this year, and a third of them came in the last month of the season. And so it's almost like you have one approach for the first two or three months. And I know that, hey, the, it gets hotter, the ball travels further. It's, it's, it's obvious. But then all of a sudden you get to Omaha if you've changed your strategy. If your strategy is leg up and I'm going to try to drive the ball, you know, swing playing and, and all of this. But it's almost like our approach has stayed constant throughout the year. And we're kind of the same team right now with our approach that we were in February and March. Yeah, I, I think the approach is good. And, you know, when I see our kids with two strikes kind of beat their, their chest a little bit and they look in that dugout, what they're saying is, I am aware that I have a responsibility of, as a hitter here to have a solid two-strike approach. Doesn't always work, but, boy, we don't strike out a whole bunch. And then the, the arms that we're facing are significant. You guys have stated that so often, and you're right. The stuff that we're seeing on the weekends in the SEC and even going into SEC play, even, the, you know, the great arm from Tulane that we saw and, and the three arms that we saw when we played in Texas the opening weekend, 
this team's prepared for this opportunity, and and I think they're 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 really uh, ready to go. It's let's not kid ourselves. There's some luck involved. You got to get the right bounce. Some things have to happen for you. But I I think this team is prepared to you know to compete in a in a in a ballpark like a, a Omaha. And to be honest with you, John, and when you start thinking about some, what other schools think, I mean, you drew this up. You did a heck of a job drawing this whole thing up. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, I, I, of my many you don't skills, have... <laughs> of my many skills, I'd never realized that I was telepathic. You know, that I could get into the minds of that many people. Um, and just to, uh, and both of you have stated this on your podcast, and, and I appreciate you doing that. I, I was not in the room. You know when the uh, when this thing was being drawn up, as many people don't want to believe that, but uh, good people in the room working really hard to get it right. And I'm gonna tell you something: when I see us playing a Notre Dame and it's that hotly a contested ball game, I, I I think you had the right two teams in a super regional in this situation. You've been there as a player, coach, athletic director. You've seen Omaha from all sorts of angles. How much to the players does having been there before matter oh it matters and, and again you guys have stated this and I, I i don't think this can be understated we went into sec play this year i think with three hitters in our lineup who had any significant sec experience whatsoever and, and that matters um we don't have a ton of experience of of uh, you know from guys who have played in the college world so you got rowdy of course and you got ta at the top and, and by the way um what a season those guys have had and i'm just gonna brag on ta a little bit when he was coming out of high school, we really got on him early. So it's probably his after his ninth grade year into his 10th grade year, we're on him. He was the best high school hitter I saw. I, I mean, and now in, in my opinion, which is meaningless, but I, I think that guy is the best amateur hitter on the planet right now. I mean, if you throw a pitch to him and it's catchable in the air, he can cover it. You just can't say that about – a, a ton of amateur hitters. There might be five or six hitters you can say that about in all of amateur baseball right now. So, and and what an incredible job Rowdy has done uh, at the top of the order too. So proud of him. Remember being in his living room with his grandmother. Those guys have done an incredible job, not only with their production, but leading a lineup that has virtually no experience at all in SEC play or, or now even in postseason. Talking with John Cohen, and before we let you go. We talked to Ty Martin a couple of weeks ago, played here in the late 1990s, of course, 2000, hit the big home run in the regional against Notre Dame. And Ty was a one of that last group of guys that could transfer within the league without having to sit out. And they pretty much put that rule in. It's almost like it was a Ty Martin rule because he went from Florida to Mississippi State. He was so big. And now all of a sudden we're back into where you do not have to sit out. This free transfer now within the league positives, negatives from a Mississippi State standpoint? I think it's positive and negative. You're, you're providing some opportunities for some kids. But what folks don't understand is this. Every time you provide one opportunity for a kid, you're taking away another opportunity from somebody else. Let me tell you what I'm saying. When Ty Martin stepped into our program, whoever was playing that position wasn't playing that position anymore. That person lost an opportunity. When we took a transfer from the University of Florida. And I'm, I think it was a great move. He was a great player and a great person. And by the way, the interview was phenomenal. I thought that was terrific. But one less high school kid from our area got to come to Mississippi State on a baseball scholarship because we brought in a transfer instead of bringing in a high school kid in that recruiting class. So 
I hear everyone talking about opportunities for the student athlete. Just it's important to realize every time an opportunity is gained, there's a back end to that. And I'm staring here at Charlie, who's an attorney. He knows that there's always positives and negatives to every single situation like this. So I applaud it. I get it. I understand the opportunity part of it, but there's going to be some ramifications. And when you start seeing, you know, classes of 12 to 14 high school kids going to SEC schools, and now all of a sudden there's six or seven high school kids going, where, where are those additional kids that were going to these schools? Where are they going to school now? Are they going to junior college? Are they going to a mid-major? Are they going to D2? There's going to be a filter-down approach to this. And again, I'm not saying it's positive or negative. I'm saying there's both. And for those folks who are saying it's only positive, I'm going to have to disagree with that because um, they're, they're, you know, there are two sides to this coin. How much does it hurt the mid-major schools? You know, Charlie, I, I, I'm going to answer this like you would. I want to wait and see. I want to see four or five years down the road w- what this does. Uh, there is, I mean, there is no question when I was a 19-year-old freshman at Birmingham Southern and I played in a midweek game at Mississippi State, you know, probably in my memory, it's, it's, it's like, hey, there was 8,000 people there. There weren't 8,000 people. There was probably 1,700 in a midweek game. But to me, it was 10,000. And I thought this atmosphere, this is something, the, the way Mississippi State conducts themselves, I want to be part of this. There's, uh, you know, I had the chance at a high school, but I like, I have to be part of this. Did Birmingham Southern do something wrong? No, they absolutely didn't do anything wrong. Great school, and I, I really enjoyed my time there, but I had to be part of this something special. Well, I, I think there's going to be some of that that happens, not only at Mississippi State, but at the Arkansas, LSU's, Vanderbilt's, whatever. But again, you're leaving that team, and you're leaving a hole behind. You're leaving friends behind. You know, you, you're leaving – you know, a school that gave you an opportunity and you grew there. So again, I'm not, I, I'm not so sure I'm excited about this for college baseball or college athletics in general. Um, but again, I'm going to wait and to judgment on this and see what happens. Bart and I talk all the time about baseball history at Mississippi State. 1919 went to the College World Series. If we could steal one bat off that team and take it with us to Omaha, who you taking? If I could take one hitter, one hitter. God, you'd have to take Burke Masters, who was on fire, right? I mean, he's he was absolutely on fire. I mean, he was unconscious. I remember having this conversation with Burke. He's like, I'm sitting on the bench with him. He's like, you know, I, I, I feel like I'm like in a cloud, right? I, he says, everything I do is working. I mean, and he, you know, and it couldn't have happened to a better person or, or somebody who worked harder. Or, you know, the guy never made a B in his life. Just so happy for him. And, and what is he doing right now? He's doing what he did in college. He's serving others as a Catholic priest. And, of course, I know he works with the Chicago Cubs as well. But uh, And, you know, he usually joins us because it's not a, a huge trip. But, I mean, he usually joins us in Omaha when we have our team there. John, before we let you go, this is the third before we let you go question. When I was a kid growing up, and when you read national writers and they start talking about venues, and they, all, everybody always says in college football – you got to go to Baton Rouge on a Saturday night. There's something different about Tiger Stadium on a Saturday night. There's nothing. There's something different about being in South Bend, Indiana, on a Saturday afternoon when Michigan's playing. As I'm sitting there Monday night and the sun's going down, how does it feel that Mississippi State, if you're a baseball guy watching that on TV and that's the only game going on Monday night, 
how cool is it to be able to say, if you're a baseball guy, that's the Mecca. That's the place that if you want to make a trek from Utah because you're a college baseball fan, that's the place I want to go. How cool is it that we've got that? You know, I think you guys captured it really well in your podcast. And for those who are listening who didn't catch the, the podcast that you guys did earlier in the week coming off the, uh, you know, the wind to get to Omaha, I, here's what I think about. I think about 20-plus architects at Weirburner Allen who are Mississippi State graduates who drew this whole thing up. I, I, I think about Scott Strickland, who, who had great vision as well, a Mississippi State graduate who, who wanted to build something incredibly special. Uh, I, I definitely had a small hand in it myself. I love the fact that our place is so unique in so many different ways. I love the fact that our left field lounge is now accessible to the whole world. I love the fact that you can go to the concession stand, turn around, and watch the game. I love the fact that you have an upper deck that I'm telling you, when you stand on that pitcher's mound, it looks like the upper deck is on top of you as a player. I I love the way it holds the noise in. I love the curved wall in right field on the plaza. I I just love everything about it. Is it perfect? No. But is it perfect for Mississippi State? Yeah, I think it absolutely is. And I think for anybody who's a fan of sports in general, I think you need to see a game. But by the way, you're, you're talking about LSU at night and football. I'm, I'm going to tell you, you know, you get to Scott Field oh, at, yeah, absolutely. At, at night with 60,000 cowbells. I'd, I'd put that up against any experience as well. When the hump is rocking, uh, and we've all seen that, I don't think there's a better bowl type of experience for a basketball arena than what we have at the Humphrey Coliseum. And by the way, that's about to get better too. But, uh, yeah, I, I think you guys captured it so well. But for me, I can't see the facility. I can't hear the stands. I got to see the quality of the at bats and the quality of the pitches to see if we have, you know, some type of path to win the ball game, and that's why it's really hard for me to carry on a conversation during the game. But I, I'm just proud of everything that happened. Every bit of our staff going through really unbearable heat. I can see that group of hundreds of people lining up outside the stadium who are general admission folks waiting to get to their seat in the berm. It's just an incredible experience. One minute answer: Is it more effective against? a Notre Dame pitcher or a Notre Dame batter, the, the huge crowd. To you as a, as a former coach, who does it impact more, the pitcher or the batter? Well, I think it's a little bit more the pitcher just because he's running a little bit of a marathon, right? The pitcher's out there and, and he's trying to figure out – I mean, he it, it is a cardio type of activity and it's a pinpoint type of activity. And even though the hitter has to respond or react – that pitcher has a ton of pressure on them. It has an effect on hitters as well, but I, th- that pitcher, ha- I mean, it's really tough to come and pitch in this environment for a variety of reasons. And uh, But I tell you what, I'm just going to give a lot of credit to Notre Dame. They battled on the mound, and, boy, they had quality at-bats for three straight ball games. John, appreciate it. Good Thank to talk you to you. Appreciate what you guys do. I love your show. Keep, keep producing some quality content because it's fun to listen to, especially when I'm jogging, you know, like uh, half a mile an hour. <laughs> well, that half mile an hour faster than what I'm running. I can tell you that, that right now. John Cohen joining us here in the studios in downtown Starkville. This conversation, of course, brought to you by our friends at Country Pleasing Sausage, made right here in the state of Mississippi. Charlie and I will come back. We'll talk to the Rocket. Roger Clemens played at Texas Back in the early 1980s, pitched against Mississippi State in 1983. We'll get you set for that Bulldog-Texas matchup in, in game one of the College World Series on Sunday. So right after this, we'll talk to Roger Clemens. You're listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. 
Grant. Welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Bart Gregory, Charlie Winfield. Going to talk with the Rockets, Roger Clemens, former Texas pitcher, and, of course, had a great major league career. And this conversation brought to you by the Catfish Institute Catfish Trail. You know, they have the Blues Trail where you can go to all these spots with the blues music. They also have a Catfish Trail. I mean, in all these restaurants on this Catfish Trail, they're, they're supposed to be the best of the best. You've got Uncle Bubba's and Hernando and Bubba's Catfish in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Top of the River has all those restaurants around Pickwick, but also in Anniston, Alabama, Snack Bar in Oxford. And so go to uscatfish.com, Fish Market in Birmingham, Pat's Fisherman's Wharf. You've got Larry's Fish House over in Itabina, all these great places to enjoy that great U.S. farm-raised catfish. And this conversation brought to you by our friends at Heartland Catfish, producing the finest U.S. farm-raised catfish in Itabina, Mississippi. And once again, check them out at your local grocer. It comes with that black and blue label. It's great stuff, but you can also get it on all these great restaurants on the catfish, the U.S. Catfish Trail. And once again, check them out at uscatfish.com. Well, we're talking about the Mississippi State-Texas matchup Sunday night at 6 o'clock, and we're going to talk to one of the guys that pitched against Mississippi State back in 1983. Roger Clemens will join us, the Rocket. And, hey, Rocket, let me tell you this. Last week we were talking to our good friend Roy Oswalt, and he said that every time that you guys went to Wrigley Field, you always made him pitch – when the wind was blowing out. And so he said that you can attribute his ERA adding about a quarter of a point. And I thought, hey, listen, we need to call you and let you defend your honor. Thank you for doing that, Bart. I appreciate it. Uh, I'm definitely going to defend it. He, that, boy, that boy's crazy. So I tell you what, coming home to pitch, I, I obviously retired, at least thought I retired again. And I had a bunch of Astro fans, hometown fans, and just locals. Really, it was pretty cool because, you know, even though all my time in Boston, New York, whatever, you know, people get up there and watch me work. But a lot of my hometown high school friends and just, you know, they couldn't get out of work do it. So it was fun when I came home. Had to leave a lot of tickets. But I can tell you what, it was it was a pleasure to come home and work side by side with Roy Oswalt and watch this kid go out there and deal. Uh, I always tease Roy. He pitched. He got the ball and threw it. He, he worked so fast. I had to remind him that after a game on getaway day, we had a, we had a charter flight, not a commercial flight. He doesn't, he, he doesn't, he, he wanted to pitch an hour and 50 minute game faster than anybody I think in the country. So I told him to slow down in between pitches. We got a charter. Uh, no doubt. No doubt. Hey, so we talked and asked a lot of the guys that played here and you were a junior college guy coming out of high school. And then all of a sudden you end up at Texas, 1982, 1983. And you start thinking about the advent of ESPN and about growing the college game back in the early 1980s. And you think of Cliff Gustafson, you think of Ron Polk. What led you to go to the University of Texas in 1982? Yeah, spot on, spot on. Yeah, ESPN was cranking up about then. Um, Yeah, I graduated. I was a 17-year-old senior when I graduated. And, guys, I had three, three wonderful coaches. They were fantastic coaches. They are better teachers of the game. Charlie Mariana, my high school here in Houston at Springwoods, was like a father figure to me. My father passed away when I was nine. My mother raised me and five of my siblings. Uh, I was probably a better defensive end than I was a uh, high school pitcher. Probably threw 80, but I threw strikes, and, and, and that held true. As you guys know, throughout my career, I was a power pitcher. I was never a power thrower. Big difference. So at 17, going to university without a full scholarship probably wasn't going to be an option with our family. 
Coach Wayne Graham, who took over the Rice University program. Coach Graham is also a baseball lifer and great teacher of the game. He said, come on over here to San Jacinto, 40 minutes from your house, and uh, let's see what happens. And I grew two inches and really got going on my core work and my, my strength and conditioning. And, and my fastball jumped after one year. And Coach said, hey, you're done here doing what you're doing here. And then Coach Bus came calling. That's how I ended up at the University of Texas. And I think 80, 82 uh, lost to Miami, tied for third. And I thought our 82 team was pretty good. And then I came back in 83 with the more experienced pitching staff with myself and Calvin Chiraldi and Mike Capel and Kurt Killingsworth. You know, it was a fun ride. And Coach was, you know, like I said, he he was the best of the best and the winningest coach at one point in college baseball. And uh, I do need to give a shout out to Coach Paul. I tell you what, that man, from the day I turned pro, there was not two or three years that went by where he didn't write me a really cool letter saying some super nice things to me during my professional career. So all, all your Mississippi State folks out there, I just want to tip my hat to him and tell him how much I really appreciate that. That went a long way. We spend so much time, and by the way, he still does that. It's really cool. If you come through and play Mississippi State, you're getting a letter from him, which is just a really cool thing, and it's great to have him around here. We talk back. Oh, it's just awesome. Unbelievable. You know, we talk a lot about Mississippi State's team in 1985. That's when Will Clark, Raphael Palmero, Jeff Brantley, Bobby Thickpan, all these guys were, you know, veterans by this time. And we talk about kind of the way they really got started was learning some lessons out in Austin in 1983. You guys had fallen into the loser's bracket. You have to beat Mississippi State twice. And then you beat them in that game one. Then you get the ball for game two, the decisive game, ultimately to put you guys through to the World Series. I'm curious what you remember in that year about facing, you know, guys like Palmero and Clark. Well, in Thigpen, too, like well, Palmero and Clark, I mean, they were, they were loaded. And, I mean, just for the fact that you see what they went on to do and accomplish, you just realize how really good they were back in college, which you didn't you didn't know all the numbers. You knew, you knew that they were very, very good college players. I think they, I think they knocked Calvin off. I think they beat Chiraldi, and then, and then they, I was up, and I just knew we had our back against the wall. We were backed in a corner, and and boy, what a, I mean, really, my, I, you know, Coach Gus always at the College World Series matched me up against Oklahoma State or these big power hitting teams, guys that like to stand on top of the plate, and, and uh, I, I didn't have a problem pitching inside or pitching inside for strikes. You know, that's what you had to do. You had those college bats back then that were loaded. And those guys, if they got any piece of it, it was going somewhere hard through the infield. But I just remember Mississippi State was, it almost was like a relief after winning that, that we really faced a big challenge. I mean, you almost felt like we were playing a uh, do or die game at the College World Series just to get there. So it was definitely a huge step to be able to win that game and get onto the World Series, especially without what we know now to be all the big name guys that were on that team. We're talking with Roger Clemens, and you mentioned a moment ago going to the College World Series in 1982. This year, Mississippi State is going for the third consecutive time to the College World Series. You guys got deep in 82 and, of course, won it all in 1983. How big do you think it was just to have that experience of going to Omaha? How much did that help you in 1983? It's massive. The guys on the team now that have been there before, they know everything that's going to happen during the week. They know everything that's going to happen during the workouts and the media attention and everything that they got to go through. So that shouldn't be a distraction. 
and they should be able to focus on playing baseball. I think there's a maybe a handful of guys at Texas that have uh, been there because of COVID where they got the extra year. I'm not 100% sure of that. There, there's no mystique about it. The Horns have been there 37 times, so they should have the routine down pretty solid. So it should make for – it should just – I mean, when you start talking about all the equations, it should add up to great baseball between these two right out of the gate. You said something a minute ago that caught my attention. Bart and I – talk all the time we love talking to guys who have pitched and and coaches and talk about the way the game has changed and you talked about not being scared to throw inside being willing to throw that inside strike back some guys off it seems like today when I watch baseball particularly at the college level you see more and more guys kind of standing right on top of the plate do you get a sense at all that pitchers today are a little too scared to throw inside on somebody well, it's an art. You got to do it uh, and, and not be able to hit a guy and put him on base. Now, you know, over my, you know, not only at Texas, but my professional career, I tell people I didn't pitch inside to hit guys. I pitched inside to make that 17-inch plate a 24-inch plate. And if a guy was covering on both sides, then, you know, that's when you kind of knock heads as a pitcher hitter, that confrontation between that 60 feet, 6 inches that you have. And really, to be honest, guys, uh, you can look at a number one starter in the major leagues and maybe a number two starter in the major leagues. They have a hard time even, you know, they can pitch inside for a strike. They have a hard time doubling it up for it. So, you know, basically a lot of the hitters are looking out over. I can also tell you the left-handed hitters, it's amazing the work that I, the personal service contracts that I have that I work with the different teams I've played for. I mean, we would get fined in the, uh, after I came out of Texas, got drafted by the Red Sox. My first eight years anyway, if not 10, with the Red Sox, if we threw a slider down and in or a two-seamer, two-seam fastball down and into a left-hander, we'd almost get fined. That was a nitro zone for these lefties. But now since they're all in this launch factor and getting the ball in there and looking out over and, and, and kind of diving out over, that's where you see these swing and misses. A lot of guys throw these cutters and sliders on the back foot, and it's a, it's a great pitch for them just for the fact of where the hitter's, you know, where he's going. So. You have to be a student of the game. That's the thing that uh, allowed me to play 24 years. I, you know, again, I kept the hitters on a three by five index card my first five to eight years. I went to my BlackBerry with this information and then onto my iPhone the latter part of my 24 years. And, and you just have to really be a student of what's going on. Don't get wrapped up too much in what I call the analytics. The propeller heads can get you messed up a little bit, but, uh, I think it's a disservice to some guys worrying about spin rate and everything else. But you want to be a power pitcher. You don't want to be a power thrower. And that starts when you start warming up in the bullpen. Quality work in the bullpen and uh, taking that, what you have uh, out in the bullpen to the main mound. Talking with Roger Clemens. And along those lines, one of the other phrases now is max effort. You hear these guys, hey, they can't go deep in games because of quote-unquote max effort. And I look back at your major league career. You threw 118 complete games. Would you classify yourself? It always appeared to me when you were out there pitching, you were pitching with max effort. I was pitching with max effort, and I wanted to finish what I started. Back then when the guys, the pitching coach or manager, came out in the eighth inning to get the ball, you were, you basically took the baseball and put it under your armpit. You didn't, you didn't want him to give it up. And I tease the guys now when they go four innings and they come in and they throw their jersey in the laundry bag. And I said, why would you throw your jersey in the floor for it can't be dirty. You only went four, four innings. And, uh, <laughs> but, some these, but some of these guys, I was just messing with the kid, of course, but uh, some of these guys, you know, four innings, they're throwing 100 pitches or so. And, 
you know, again, the spin rate, the max effort, I, I've got a whole different story on what's going on now with the uh, MLB and the, the um, using the sticky stuff or whatever they do. I, I'm totally surprised that they don't allow – I mean, surely you can uh, – especially how hot it is here in Texas and I'm sure in Mississippi. You know, I put sunscreen on my 12-year-old team when the, you know, when the boys were 12 way back when on their ears and their neck because I was worried about them staying out there for two or three games or three or four hours. And then you got rosin. So I, I get it with all the other crazy stuff that I've been hearing these young kids have been using. But a little rosin and uh, sunscreen gives you enough tactification to control the baseball. And I, I would think that if you ask nine out of ten hitters, they want these guys that are throwing, you know, all these dudes are throwing 97 to 99 miles an hour to have a little bit of control over this baseball. And it's, and it's interesting to me because they're going to have to get rid of the DH. and yeah, I mean, uh, get rid of the pitchers hitting and have a DH. I mean, I can't tell you how many times that I hit in the National League where I had a batting glove on my bottom hand and my right, my pitching hand was bare. I'm at the plate and I'm hitting. And of course, I got pine tar on my bat and I hit and you strike me out. I lay my bat and helmet down. The bat boy gives me my glove and baseball cap and I jog out to the mound. I'm gonna, you're going to throw me out immediately. Well, obviously, I pine tar on my hand because I just got done hitting. Unless they're going to have a Perel station behind the mound where I can, clean, you know, clean up. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I know so many pitchers in the National League that hit bare knuckle for that reason, and uh, I think some of the stuff is is overdone. But I'm surprised to hear that you can't lose, you know, put sunscreen on. Well, I can tell you this: I'm not digging in with your with you standing up there unless you tell me you've got a good grip. <laughs> I don't want anything. Well, I, I would agree. With you. The, 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 thing, the thing is crazy. In 24 years, say my guesstimation, maybe I started 15 opening days, and I would get, I, I know for a fact at least five of those were in snow flurries. And if you just pick, if you just get yourself a glass of ice water and grab that glass with the condensation. That's what the ball feels like in your hand. It feels like a marble in the cold weather for sure. And uh, thank goodness at times the umpires would allow us to blow warm air into our hands out on the mound. Uh, that's when it's really dangerous, when it's, the weather is uh, r- really, really cold. One of the discussions that takes place all the time around a college baseball program is whether a guy's going to come to college or whether he's going to go straight to pro ball. I know you had to go through that analysis even in your own family, but as you talk to parents, as you talk to kids, particularly with the contraction of minor league baseball, do you see college baseball becoming more important to young players? I think the experience of college baseball, um, you can't replicate it whatsoever. I mean, the atmosphere, and really uh, most of the guys that are high-level players at college, are they should come out of college and start in double-A. I mean, that's where they're going to get tested the most right away. And it becomes, you know, like I said, it's a three-stage process. And it doesn't matter what level you're on. I mean, physically, I got you. Then you have the mental part of the game, which I think in really any sport is massive. Mentally, I got you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and wear you down mentally. And then you got to control your emotions. I tell people in 24 years, I showed my behind a few times out there. Mom would call me on the thing, say, honey, can you put your glove up in front of your face? You know, your sister advice. I said, I think that's where the glove in front of the face stuff started. But so the, the mental part of the game, I think, is real hard on the, uh, in the college guys. When I, when I have the opportunity to visit with them, that's, that's really what I try and stress to not only the college guys, but the young guys that are in pro ball is that obviously when you get to pro ball, everybody can run fast. Everybody can hit. Everybody can throw it, you know, 92 to 97. Uh, so you're you're a big fish in a, in, in a big you know big pond, 
with a with a bunch of bunch of guys that do kind of the same thing you do. And then it's the, you know it's a mental approach because it's going to test you, and, and it really is a game that tests you for life. For when you're if you don't make it and you go out into the the working world, uh, it gives you some life lessons also. And again, the, the the main thing I stress is there's a lot of things I can show you on the mound, uh, mechanic wise, that are fairly simple and they're important. Uh, but I can't teach you confidence, and that's what you got to have. You got to have confidence. Um, you are going to back up bases. You're going to have some really, really bad games. You're really going to think you're brutal, uh, but you, you're going to learn a lot. And uh, I think that's the most important thing when you talk about guys going to college and a, maybe a high school guy going to the minor leagues right out of high school. And you may be rooming with a guy right out of the gate that's three years older than you, married and two children, and you just stepped off the high school campus. So there's a lot of factors that go into that talking to roger clemens and before we let you go it always seems like this past weekend when we played notre dame it seemed like they had a couple guys coming to the plate a cavadas and a prisoner it seemed like they hit every inning and it it's almost seems like the good guys are coming up every inning and i know you get asked this question probably a lot but looking over your major league career at the guys that you faced was there always it seemed like there was one guy that just kept coming up and you're like dadgummit here he is again <laughs> Well, you're right. It, it's this time when you talk about super regionals and now the College World Series. I mean, there's just it's just fun because there's some guys that are riding some great momentum. This, I'm I'm hoping for some great baseball. Omaha, those people in Omaha are fantastic. They're out there supporting all the teams, even with some teams get knocked off and the and you look up and there's still thirty five thousand people in this. I mean, it's unbelievable uh, how they support these college programs and. Uh, once I got to the big leagues, I wanted to face Reggie Jackson. That was the guy. I watched Reggie with the Yankees forever. Now I'm friend, obviously friends with Reggie for many years, and I tell he loves hearing the story. But I remember, you know, just by reciting the question back to you guys that, you know, I wanted to face Reggie. He came in, I think, my fourth start of my professional, fifth start of my professional career, something like that. And he was with the California Angels. And when the when our – uh, PA announcer announced, you know, number 44, Reggie Jackson batting for the California. I was like, man, okay, I'm really, I'm in the big leagues now, man. I was like, I was tying my shoe behind the man. I wasn't even untied, but I was retying my <laughs> shoe. I had to turn around and look at him in the eyes. And, uh, but uh, it was fun facing Reggie. I got to face some great ones back then, guys. And I was privileged to play so long that, you know, then you face the pool holses and the, all these guys too, these young great hitters and, so it was fun. As you got older, it was it was not as fun because these guys know what they're doing uh, at that level. But uh, so I, I would say that the, the guys that gave me really, really were the power hitters I didn't have a problem with. I'm usually going to give them one good pitch to hit, and if they miss it, I got them. The contact guys, the the first or second hitter, I don't want to get an 11, 12 pitch at bat with you, but then, because then there's no way I'm completing the game. Probably going maybe seven innings if I'm lucky. So. I'm throwing a good two hard two seamer middle down, and I want you to hit that ball to one of my infielders and get you out of there as quick as possible. So it's kind of kind of the approach you take. You have to be a little more careful in the American League with the leadoff hitter because in the American League, the leadoff hitters are hitting thirty bombs and driving in a hundred. So you just can't you can't just you know give them a really nice pitch to hit early. Hey, we appreciate it. Tell my boy Rollo's well. Tell that old boy hello for me. I, I we sure will. We sure will. And so we we need to get some some good stories on Roy from from you guys. Appreciate you. All right, man. Good luck. And that's Roger Clemens, the Roger Clemens, the Rocket pitched against Mississippi State, nineteen eighty three, in the Austin Regional, and of course the Texas alum, Charlie. 
As a baseball guy, hey, we could have sat here for another 30 minutes. That was fun. Oh, my goodness. There's so many things you'd love to ask that guy about his career. You know, one of the things that we didn't have a chance to get into, Bart, is that he was a member of two of the 27 world championships uh, by the most decorated team in the history of professional sport, the New York Yankees. Hey, it's been fun, man. We talked a long time with John. We just talked a long time with Roger Clemens. We've got a quick wrap-up to get out of here. And once again, this conversation brought to you by our friends at Heartland Catfish. You can check out that catfish tour at uscatfish.com, the Catfish Institute, the Catfish Tour, all these great restaurants in the southeast. And once again, bringing you that conversation with Roger Clemens. Back with a final word on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Now, welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Bart Gregory, Charlie Winfield. Well, that was pretty cool. That was cool. <laughs> How about that? Seven-time Cy Young winner. Seven times. Hey, that guy's not afraid to pitch inside. I'm glad you asked that question about pitching inside because it's kind of like a lost art now about that 17-inch plate he talked about a minute ago trying to make it 24. It's almost like the 17-inch plate has become 12 to 13 at times. Yeah, absolutely, and I think particularly so in college baseball. I think there's a lot of guys that don't trust their ability to throw inside on guys, particularly when they're throwing to the glove side. I don't think they're very confident going across in their body and throwing inside on guys. They're scared it's going to get away and hit somebody. That guy, he'd uh, back you off the plate. Didn't care. He didn't care. Okay, yesterday State made the trek to Omaha. All the teams arrived on Wednesday and go through you know COVID testing and all that. They had media today. Saturday, Sunday is when the first rounds of the tournament start. Of course, the other side of the bracket plays on Saturday. Our side plays on Sunday. So, first and foremost, what are you expecting to see? Do you expect to see Ty Madden again for the Texas Longhorns? That's who we saw to start the season. We had success. Remember, we led 8-1 to one in that game until the bottom of the ninth inning. We, we performed very well, and they used a lot of different guys in that game. I do expect to see Madden again, although I suppose they may decide to push him to a game too. I think there's going to be an interesting question about who Mississippi State rolls out there. I think Christian McLeod is in a ballpark that suits him. You look at some of his best outings this year at LSU. Wind was blowing in. We've had some games here. Wind was blowing in. Rosenblatt, excuse me, it's not Rosenblatt anymore. TD Ameritrade, some habits just die hard. The ball doesn't jump out of there. I feel like this ballpark sets up well for him. You know, it's interesting. When you go to Omaha, one of the things you don't think of, and when you talk about Johnny Rosenblatt Stadium, it was up there on that hill and the way that ballpark faced. This ballpark faces the southeast. And so what does that mean? If you get any kind of southerly wind, the wind is blowing in. And right now, the projections, we talked about this with John Cohen just a little bit ago, right now the projections have the wind blowing in from right field at 20 miles an hour. And so that ballpark that is big plays even bigger in Omaha. And so the whole key, you know, say for a Christian McLeod or a Will Bednar, whoever throws in that Sunday game against Texas, is to not be afraid to pitch up in the zone. You don't have to nibble. You can locate something high in the zone. So many times when we think about using the whole zone, guys think about inside and outside. But you can go up and down too. And I think this is a ballpark where you can afford to go up even if you're not one of these Ethan Small, big spin rate kind of guys. When I look at the College World Series 
cast of characters, the eight teams that are there right now, I could make you an argument that every single one of these teams can win the national championship. I can also make an argument for every one of these teams to go two in the queue. That's what's it's it's almost like I can't recall a time when Arkansas I thought Arkansas was kind of a, a leg up on everybody this year. When Arkansas was beaten out last week by NC State, to me it's almost like it opened the field up. Absolutely. It's all about somebody getting hot. And look, one or two hitters in a lineup for one team getting hot this week can hit you all the way in. It's just going to be one of those things. Can this be the week that lightning strikes? Can this be the week you find one or two guys to really catch a spark? If you do, there isn't a team out there that can't win this thing. Charlie and I will be back for Sunday Coffee on Sunday morning. We'll get you ready. We'll go in-depth about State and Texas in that game one matchup for the Dogs and the Longhorns at 6 o'clock on Sunday in Omaha. Once again, thanks to our sponsors, Farm Bureau, Go With the Home Team, Country Pleasing Sausage, and Heartland Catfish. Appreciate you guys hanging out with us here on this Thursday. You've been listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau.